I don't know what the snow looks like where either of you are, but uh, around here, they, we've got these like big fluffy snowflakes that they land and you can see that they're snowflake shaped. What? There was a lot of snow here. It's still snowing. There's less than there was at the peak of snow, I think. But anyway, I'm glad. I'm glad that there was finally some outcome to it being so damn cold. <laughs> it was so cold, yeah. especially out in the valley. When I was driving home from work uh, a couple of days ago, the, the river was frozen by mission. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I don't think it ever freezes any further downhill than that uh, normally, because that's about where seawater turns into freshwater. That's like the high tide mark or something like that. Um, but yeah, no, I saw ice. Huh. I still remember when, um, like, Trout Lake froze over and I got to ice skate on it. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty fun. But yeah, it's weird because yesterday I went out and it was so cold and I was like, oh man, I didn't wear enough clothes. So today when I left the house, I bundled up and I was like, oh right, when it snows, it insulates things and it's not as cold. It's not as cold as when it's a clear day. So I was actually too hot for my toque when I left the house. I don't have any segue that I can think of here, but I guess welcome to the Trade Waiters. We don't talk about snow. We talk about comics. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which is a, a great thing to read on a on a snowy day like this. Oh, oh there we go. Yeah. Good segue. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, if only there had been an ice skating scene in this comic, we could have perfectly transitioned. Uh, mm. Okay. So I guess I'm leading this because I chose this book. So today's episode is Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me by Mariko Tamaki and Rosemary Valero O'Connell. I hope I said that right. And before we talk about this book, I guess we should talk a little bit about each other with a character building question. Connected to this book, um, I I thought I would specifically... I, I I hope this is an interesting question. I was going to ask you guys... Uh, if you were Anna Vice, what would you tell Freddie? So my name is Jeff Ellis, and I well, I have the advantage of having thought about this question before proposing it. Um, but uh, I I would say like, and I I really liked the the advice that Freddie was given, but I would say my advice to to Freddie would be that um, sometimes being alone is better. <laughs> and that is something I've actually uh, learned uh, this this past year. So uh, yeah, that would be my advice. I'm Jonathan. Uh, I don't know. Anna's advice was so good. I don't know if I can <laughs> top it in any respect. <laughs> the only thing I can add is that Laura Dean is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> but everything seems to have resolved itself spoiler alert by the end of the book in a satisfying way so yeah just copy paste whatever Anna Vice said good uh yeah and I'm Jam uh I thought also that the advice that was given was fantastic but something that the columnist didn't really have visibility into that I think would reflect my advice would be like when your relationship starts negatively impacting your friends who aren't involved in the relationship, that's when you really got to take a step back. That's a good point. Yeah. And that yeah. does feel like that's the, the turning point in the story. Mm -hmm. but then uh, within the story, the columnist doesn't have all that information. But as readers, we do. And yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So uh, before we uh, dig into the story, I thought I could just very quickly talk a little bit about the authors, uh, artist and author. So Mariko Tamaki, born in 1979 and is a Canadian artist writer. She's known for the graphic novel Skim, 
uh, Emiko Superstar and This One Summer. Which we did an episode about. That yes. was our very first episode, wasn't it? I, yeah, I think. No, it was our second yeah. episode. Yeah, it was an early, one of the early ones. So yeah, this is our, our first second. episode was seconds. That's right. That's where I got that mixed up. Yeah. This is, and so yeah, so this is our this second. one summer was our second episode. Seconds was our first episode. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> to, make, to make it make sense. But yeah, this is our second time covering uh, Mariko's writing. And she's also gone on to write several uh, mainstream titles for Marvel and DC Comics, including Harley Quinn and She-Hulk, to name a few, um, which I have not got to read. But I was also quickly just going to shout out Emiko Superstar, because it's drawn by Vancouver local uh, nice guy, Steve Ralston. And I was super excited about Emiko Superstar, because it was supposed to be this whole new... Uh, independent content line that DC was launching and then they immediately scuttled the whole thing after publishing Emiko Superstar. Anyways, and then I don't know anything, I did not know Rosemary Valero O'Connell before, uh, but she is an American illustrator and cartoonist who's worked for DC Comics and Boom Studios. She's from Minneapolis, Minnesota, but was raised in Zaragoza, Spain and uh, went to the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. And uh, I think Laura Dean keeps breaking up to, with me is probably one of her most well-known comics at this point, but she's also uh, done some work for Steven Universe Comics and has, I think, an active webcomic, which I think is if only once, if only for a little, or that could be, uh, uh, I could be getting the, that mixed up with another work they published. Yeah, so those are our creators. Yeah, Rosemary also has a fantastic book um, that came out as a Kickstarter as part of the short box, I believe. And it was Don't Go Without Me. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, which I've also read and I highly recommend, which is why I pointed out, like, if you liked the artwork in this book, like, please check out Don't Go Without Me. It's it's a trio of short stories that are really, really fantastic. Okay. Well, I definitely want to look into that because one of the notes I made to myself was that I think that Rosemary's artwork elevates this work. And like, I think Mariko wrote a great script, but I think that having Rosemary doing the art just completely like put this on a, on another level. Uh, the, the art was really, for me, just really fantastic. Every page was a treat. Um, and I think it just really complemented the story uh, really well. Yeah, no, this book was fantastic. I will say, and uh, this it doesn't really give us inf any information in the book, like where the line was between writer and artist. But I know that this was a topic we talked about with this one summer where Mariko didn't like the, those labels being attached to her and her cousin because that's not how they worked. So I don't actually know the nature of the collaboration for this book but the panel structures seems very familiar like much like this one summer so um and again I, I don't know the nature of their collaboration so I don't know how exactly they how it all came together but I would not be surprised if a lot of the the layout stuff is not just the artist hmm yeah, good point. Uh, John, do you have the print edition of this? I, I do, yeah. It's I have a print. question. Does uh -huh. it um, does it go into grayscale sometimes? Or is it pink throughout? Um, it's a two-color print run. So it's uh, gray and pink. So there are pages where it is gray tone instead of pink? Correct. Uh, yeah, okay. there are pages that are just gray. So I assume okay. it's the same. I... Yeah, no, I I it I had it in my Kindle edition and at first I thought like, oh, this is intentional, like they dropped out the pink for a reason. And then later on I'm like, I'm not sure this is intentional. <laughs> and so I wanted I wanted to check. Uh so it's good. Because otherwise yeah. I was gonna majorly complain about the Kindle edition of this book. <laughs> yeah, no, there's um most pages have both, but there are definitely pages that are just black and white. Okay. Yeah. It's and I, and I will say, um, I'm a big fan of two color comics and grayscale and pink and black is a surprisingly awesome comic combination. I, I thought just having that little hit of pink and then occasionally shifting into grayscale, 
I thought was really effective for the emotional atmosphere of the work. Yeah, the pink is used really well. Like, um, yeah. I, I think it also is a really strong, like this book you could hold up as a really strong example of why you don't necessarily need full color all the time. Mm-hmm. Like uh, this one, summer is the same way, right? They use blue in a similar way, I think. Yeah, I think it was one color, but blue instead of black. Oh, right. That's right. That's right. But similarly, like I love black and white comics, and this like extra tone just makes it feel super, super special. And is it's a lot faster to draw. It's a lot cheaper to print. Everyone wins. I think. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I really think like I was thinking that too after reading this book that I feel like North American publishing jumped on full color way too fast. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's just because like North American publishing is so focused on comics for kids, but I'm not even a hundred percent convinced of the premise that kids need comics in color. I think that's just what they're used to. Um, I don't know if anyone's done any kind of like study to prove that comics need to be color if they're comics for kids. I would highly doubt any study that said that they needed to be in color. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, um, I, you know, I, I know. I, I think the other thing about the way they use the color though, is um, it's clearly not just a, like, it's not just like someone's wearing a pink shirt. So they're, we're coloring it pink. It's like, there are scenes where, like uh, Freddie's feeling embarrassed and she's completely colored all pink and she's feeling sad. So then she completely colored in gray. And so I felt like color was just really used to yeah bring out those like emotional uh, high and low points. And like, if it was more of a neutral scene, I found that that's when the pages were a little more neutral in its approach to color. Um, so I just, yeah, I really think there was a lot of, extra thought that went into picking when this pink shows up and when the gray shows up. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily like a consistent approach in that pink doesn't always mean a certain thing, mm-hmm. but it always means something in context. So like, uh, I'm just looking at two pages for comparison, which this is a podcast and nobody can see them, <laughs> but uh, there's one page where doodle is like looking away from Freddie and is feeling emotions that they're not expressing. And then that panel is pink while the rest of the page is black and white. Uh, or um, and there's another page where, uh, again, there's a single panel that's pink uh, and it's where Freddie is kissing Mo. Uh, and then the rest of the panel is just black and white. So these are the two panels that are obviously meant to stand out but for, I think, very different reasons. Yeah. No, I I, yeah, I made note of a few pages as I went through this uh, just because they stood out to me as just, like, really good comics. So should we talk a little bit about just sort of the story um, before we d- dive into <laughs> breakdowns? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, give us a, a summary because it's a really <laughs> yeah. good story. Yeah, I mean, okay, so as the title suggests, our main character, Freddie, is dating a girl named Laura Dean who keeps breaking up with her. And uh, the framing device, which I thought was really effective, is uh, Freddie doesn't know what to do, so she's writing emails to an online advice columnist named Anna Vice, which I think is a great name for an advice columnist. And um, you sort of have this, like, narrative of Freddie explaining the situation, but then you're also seeing things sort of play out in, in sort of real time, so to speak. Um, but it, the letter writing, I think gave you that sort of internal thoughts of the character that I think is important to really help you connect. And, um, it actually made me reading. This made me think that I need to do more internal monologues for my characters. Cause I really feel like, overlaying the internal thoughts with the external actions is just such a great way of telling a story in comics. Uh, it's a narrative device that I usually hate Oh, okay. in comics, interestingly, because I, I, I see it pop up very often when you have a, let's say a, a celebrity writer, like someone who is 
very known for writing and they're like I'll write a comic how hard could it be mm. and as a result you know you see these huge inner monologue kind of texts superimposed mm. around like images are happening you know and it does not feel enmeshed here it's done really really well mm-hmm. but I would say like it takes <laughs> it takes a deft hand yeah uh, and Jeff you know comics so it's like <laughs> you'd be like in a different situation but I will not I will not give this carte blanche Okay, <laughs> uh, but I will also say that it, it makes it kind of interesting because if you were just to take the the letters, it makes Freddie a little bit of an unreliable narrator. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. Like we are the the emails that she sends leave out so much important information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so Freddie is uh, is dating Laura Dean. Laura Dean is um, the worst. Yeah, Laura Dean is the worst. Laura Dean is I. I Lordine is a manipulative, bad girlfriend who has cheated, cheated on Freddie multiple times and seems to just need other people's attention. Just sort of cannot be left alone for five minutes and like needs attention and has and found needs to be the center of attention. Yeah, and has found in Freddie a person who was will sit and wait and be on pause until Laura Dean requires her and then when called upon will will run to her side when needed and then can be discarded at at her convenience I would say that's that maybe an accurate description of their relationship yeah Uh, that's pretty accurate (laughs) and uh yeah so then this is Freddie's journey kind of like working through this sort of initially kind of thinking about how to make this relationship work and then sort of recognizing ultimately that this is a bad situation and extricating herself from it. And then the other big part of that is her relationship with her friend Doodle, who is like her best friend and has um, huge amounts of things going on in her life, depth in her life that uh, you only really become aware of near the end of the book. But I will say like, you know, when Doodle first shows up, you kind of think there's a lot more going on with Doodle than we are being let led on to. And then by the end of the story, you see there's, yeah, volumes uh, undisclosed until the end. Yeah, so it's, yeah, and then uh, fortunately, yeah, Freddy breaks up with Laura Dean and uh, kind of, I don't know, regains her, her power and gets to, like, live her life again, I think. <laughs> Yeah, there's so much to like about this story, but one thing that I really do like about it is that it's not a love conquers all kind of story, mm-hmm. which I feel like is is done a lot. Where it's like you, when you think of romantic comedy tropes, for example, you have characters and sometimes they break up and they're like it's so bad, but then like they find a way to come back together and that's the happy ending, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But uh, in this case, I think there is still a happy ending, but the happy ending is like they finally broke up properly. Yeah. Uh, And that works out better for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of suggested at the end that Freddie and Doodle are uh, at the beginning of a relationship, maybe. But I don't think it's like really spelled out explicitly because that's not the climax of the story. That's not mm. the destination. The yeah. destination is Freddie breaking up with Laura Dean. And yeah. that's what's important. And like, that's the part that feels really satisfying. And then her relationship with Doodle, unless I'm totally misreading things, is like a chapter yet to be written kind of a thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't even put put it at romantic, personally. Okay. I mean, it it... Again, like it's open to interpretation, but I didn't read that out of it and I didn't think it was the point. I think the important point from my read was that it's like Freddie and Doodle's friendship was preserved. Mm, yeah. Uh, and they can continue to be friends and close friends. Sure. Yeah, I. it's funny because I read this the first time and I, I think when I finished it, I saw this as Freddie doesn't need a new girlfriend Freddie just needs a friend. Um, and then the second time reading it, I was like, is there something going on there? Like, I kind of could read it both ways. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure. And I think intentionally it's ambiguous. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I don't, I think if it was, if there was an explicit relationship there, I don't, I think it would undermine the story, not help it. Yeah, 
That's yeah. As you, as you, as you said, Jim, it's not the point. It's, it's not the point. And if they do end up together, I would be delighted. I think they're great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's, yeah, I think there's lots of great, uh, like scenes and moments. I don't know for me, like I, this is my jam because I just get into stories about people being people. And I feel like this just hits all my, all my points of just like messy relationships, people who are making mistakes and trying to do better and do worse depending on who they are. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I enjoyed all of it. I made a few notes to myself. One thing that I missed the first time that I picked up on the second time was early on, uh, Doodle makes a joke about like, um, at least you don't have to fight anyone to the death, which I was like, oh, that's like a Scott Pilgrim ref- reference, I think. Um, oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just thought that was kind of cute in this story to sort of make that reference and it gets a callback near the end of the story too because freddie makes that as a joke to doodle at the end and i don't know i felt like maybe that was uh referencing scott pilgrim in the sense that like i don't know i felt like maybe maybe in a certain way this is like saying like hey you know maybe 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 scott pilgrim you could view through the lens of this story is like me maybe ramona flowers could could do better with her life too i don't know <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, I didn't pick up on that as any kind of reference. I think it works just fine if it's not a reference. Mm-mm. But I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm not sure. But I just this time around, I was like, is that is that calling out Scott Pilgrim? I'm not sure. Maybe it's just because I've been talking about Scott Pilgrim with people recently. <laughs> <laughs> what I really liked about this plot what really stood out to me and really struck me is that despite it being a high school romance, the emotional complexities were not high school level. Mm. These are like problems and emotional issues that people have to navigate well into their thirties. I can tell you. Uh, And uh, for that reason, I think it, it was a really satisfying read and it was it was tough to watch these kids grapple with these like serious issues and uh i came away feeling really proud of these characters for <laughs> doing such a good job <laughs> navigating yeah. <it> eventually <laughs> like i feel like that's like the the high school setting is like uh, a very impressive feat to see because yeah i feel like if you're going to write teenagers well you have to first off recognize that teenagers don't see themselves as teenagers they see themselves as people Mm-hmm. And they have just as much emotional depth as adults. Mm-hmm. And they don't like know what they're doing or know how to solve anything or like uh, they make really dumb decisions. But none of that is due to a lack of depth. Yeah. And also when you're a teenager, you don't know what you're missing. You don't know that you lack experience and lack understanding of of things that adults might be able to navigate a little better so you as you are at that point in your life at the peak of your experience and ability to deal with problems and I feel like this book describes characters in a way that fits that description I don't know that's not a very good sentence (laughs) but the other thing is like uh, Mariko is uh, about our age uh, and I know that my high school was nothing like this but I feel like this is a like and, and I don't teach high school I teach elementary school but even being as close to high school as that I am convinced that this is a very accurate description of how about what high school culture is now which is not something you would get if you went to high school when the author went to high school and then just stopped paying attention to high school after that. Hmm. That's interesting. It, it did ring very true to me, but I don't have that visibility into what high school is like now. The kids, what are they up to? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't know for sure either because like the kids I teach are younger than this, but from my limited experience, I can, I can see no flaws. This looks flawless to me. I, I, uh, yeah, I think the one sort of like moment where they reference high school was where Freddie talks about how, you know, when you're going through like the drama of a breakup, everybody knows about it. 
And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, that is one thing that's probably a positive about being in your your 30s or whatever is that you're not in this like enclosed ecosystem where just like whatever's happened in your personal life is just common knowledge of like everybody around you. You can be a little more discriminating about how that gets disseminated. Well, mm, you don't necessarily have control. The rumor mill pre-social media was maybe not as fast, but still I would say quite powerful. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's not, yeah, I don't know. I felt just, I was like, man, I bet high school's just like that times a hundred. Like it just, I feel like there's more intensity to that. (laughs) Uh, Being mortified by a photo circulating online is definitely something that we never experienced blessedly mm. uh and is kind of a new wrinkle to it and it's like this happened and here's the proof you know and it's like oh okay or being able to text people in the middle of the night like that's not something mm. that was anyone's experience being a teenager in the 90s that's yeah. true like the weekend was kind of like this blessed time where it's like well <laughs> things aren't going to get worse unless there's like a party happening right you know so it's like ooh, okay yeah. People can't uh, text you, uh, falsely text you emergency to get you to come running to their front door and get your appointments. That was so that, was, that made me so angry. <laughs> I, I will, yeah, like, I, I think that, um, like, the story does a great job of kind of ramping things up with Lordine and Freddie because you sort of initially, Lordine just seems like a little bit of, like, a neglectful girlfriend and then it seems like okay so she's probably cheating on freddie but it's like for me it really turned with like she invites freddie over and it seems like she's inviting her over for a date and then when she shows up she's got all these people over and it's like a pizza party and just doesn't talk to her the whole night just ignores her which is super shitty and then like the kind of follow-up to that is then later freddie finds out that you know uh doodle has a lot of stuff she's dealing with. She's gotten herself pregnant from a a married man and is having to go in for an abortion. Uh, I think Doodle's pronouns are they, them. No, no, she Really? I went back. I was, I was curious about this as well. Okay. And I went back explicitly to like hunt through the book. I'm like, when is she given pronouns? And it is only once. And it is only at the party with someone else talking about her. But um, there is no other reference to it in the book. And if you're given such limited information, I think that you have to take as. Sure. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's interesting. I was thinking, because I was like, at some point, I don't know how I came to the, that conclusion, but um, I was thinking like halfway through the story. Okay. I need to know what this character's pronouns are. And the book hasn't told me yet. And it's, I think it's just really interesting uh, as a sort of an artifact of the medium of comics that you can go through like half of an entire novel and not use pronouns at all for a character. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's a, I'm not sure what to do with that information. I just think it's an interesting, yeah, interesting yeah. feature of the medium. It's yeah, definitely no. why a lot of web cartoonists specifically and like people who are putting together books have started Uh, or I guess carried forth the kind of like manga style legacy of like, here's a character page. Mm. And it's like, here are all the characters, their ages, and now their pronouns. Like, Yeah, and names too, because like you can go a long way through a book without seeing someone's name. Yeah. Or if you only see them referred to, and then you're, you you struggle to like connect. It's like, oh yeah, this, this person is this name. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I, uh, thank you for bringing that up. Because like, I, I had actually again, after reading it the first time and starting the second time, I had in my head, I was like, I think there's a non-binary character. But then like after I read it, I was like, no, no, I think, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm glad I didn't make a mistake. uh, But I I also had, I think when I I was rereading it, I had it in my head too, that there was, yeah, I I had thought that. But then after reading, I was like, no, I guess I was thinking of another work, but. Okay. I totally sidetracked you. Sorry. What what were you saying? I think it's important. I think like Doodle is the kind of character where the way that she's presenting herself, it could read as non-binary very, very easily. And it, you know, she's in high school. Mm -hmm. It could be that she's part of her journey, but similar to like where we, like what we dealt with in Berlin, right? You have to like take the character where they're at and uh, let the character tell you who they are. 
And unfortunately, like the only source that we get is these these two bros who are like, I think she's a lesbian or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. uh, which is not my favorite way to learn that information. But when the author has so few opportunities to use it, and that's what she that's what Mariko chose to use, it's like, okay, then that's she's she hurt. That's what it okay. is. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean I now that you're we're talking about this, I was actually just gonna say I don't know how much significance there is to this, but I did notice that throughout the whole initial story doodle tends to just be wearing like very nondescript like pants sweatshirts but on the last scene doodle's wearing a dress at the dance so I guess well i didn't still I, I, did, I do remember that anything. i didn't want to read too much no i, I don't know i just wearing a dress or not i don't know if there's significance to that i was just like i just noticed that there was like a change in huh. fashion at the end i don't know if that means anything uh it is a dance yeah. So it is more formal than you would necessarily yeah. dress, but clothes do not equate to gender. Oh, so like yeah. wearing a dress wouldn't necessarily preclude her being yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. non-binary, just like, you know, dressing kind of androgynously doesn't necessarily mean she's not. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I guess like I, maybe I just, because it was, I, I was thinking about that and I was also thinking about uh, like the use of cell phones because the beginning of the book, Doodle's not using a phone, doesn't have a phone apparently, but then later has a phone, starts using phones. Like, I feel like it's, I don't know, she's maybe making different choices in life. Yeah. Like, could be she's like, definitely growing different things on. Visible, you know? visible evidence of a character arc. Yeah. Just like, yeah, make, trying, trying different stuff out, you know? Hmm. Anyways, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I hadn't thought about that till we, till, till just now. But uh, the other thing actually connected to that though is, I had made notes of when Freddie calls to check on Doodle the first time and gets Doodle's father. And I thought that was such a talking to a dad moment because the whole book, it's been Freddie and Doodle. And then like the dad is like, hello, Frederica. No, Deidre is not available. And it's like, who are these people you're talking about? <laughs> oh, Freddie and Doodle. Oh, I see. <laughs> that definitely stood out to me too. And I, I think it was another thing that it, it almost feels like an anachronism at this point, doesn't it? Mm. Calling to talk to someone's dad. Is oh, like... yeah. Well, this is before think, Doodle has a cell phone. I was going to so say. That's why. That's I the only the, reason, I think. The only reason that conversation was justified is because at the time you think Doodle doesn't have a cell phone, uh, you know, of her own to call. So you got to call the dad, I guess. <laughs> But just yeah, like all these characters just have such interesting, such interesting arcs and the arcs are presented like the information that we're given as readers to understand the characters is just so smartly conveyed. Like uh, the, the moment where Laura Dean is like calling Freddie with a fake emergency is like says so much about both of these characters. Yeah. without being like explicit and spelling it out or the um what was the other one i was thinking of oh where freddie spends like pages and pages sort of questioning the value of monogamy only because she's trying to justify continuing to have a relationship with laura these aren't necessarily things she would be thinking about otherwise but she's like well maybe it's okay maybe it's okay that i'm being treated like this yeah, they call that mental gymnastics. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I know. I, I think that 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 seems like uh you know something that can happen, right? Like, I mean, I think that there are people who very successfully have non you know non monogamous relationships, but I also feel like occasionally someone will get sold on a package where like, yeah, we'll be in a non monogamous relationship you'll just sit on the sidelines waiting for me and I'll just get out there. And you know, when I'm, when I'm done with playing the field, I'll come back home to you. Like, I think that is a dynamic that occasionally happens. Yeah. And I, I like the way Anna Weiss kind of presented it as like the, the lack of monogamy is not the issue. The yeah. issue is like, is this working for you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to get back to the advice, but, um, to, yes, we, we just touched on it, but I was going to say, the, to me, like, the quintessential, like, moment where I completely was done with Lordine was you've established that Freddie is going to meet Doodle at the, at the abortion clinic to help her friend with this incredibly trying, you know, 
moment and trying to be a good friend and explicitly tells Laura Dean, like, I have a very important appointment. It's private. I can't tell you about it, but I just cannot see you on Saturday. Like, know that I will be available later, but I just need you to give me this Saturday. And Laura Dean's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. And then on Saturday sends this text, like, emergency. I need to see you now. And, of course, Freddie, being Freddie, runs full tilt to Laura Dean's front door out of breath only to discover that this was Laura Dean's way of getting her to come to her birthday party, you know? And I was like, that's like the worst thing ever. Like I was so mad. Like <laughs> I, yeah, you, yeah, I, I was like, I just, I was just floored. I was like, that's just so, that cuts so many boundaries. That's like so inconsiderate on so many levels. Like, and, and then I, I mean, and, and just when, when Freddie, Freddie has to run to the abortion clinic and miss has missed doodle now and is sitting in the clinic crying. Like that was so heartbreaking. And I was glad that in a way that was the straw that broke the camel's back for Freddie too. Cause for me, I was like, no, she can't go back. Like this has to end. And fortunately that was when Freddie was like, yeah, I I'm treating my friends like shit. I got to make changes in my life, which you had brought up earlier, Jim. It's really painful when you come to this realization of like, I am bending over backwards to cover for someone else's inconsideration. And as a result, hurting the people who are really important to me. And you have to come to that point, right? Where it's like, is this the type of person you want to be? And you you want to be in a relationship with someone who's going to help you be your best. And if they are actively causing you to be a worse person you gotta you gotta cut your losses that's what it is yeah yeah it's um and that's yeah and i guess that that comes to anna anna vice's advice at the end which is i and i i actually it's funny i had uh, a very short rebound relationship in april and it ended and then i was i read laura dean he's breaking up with me and so reading anna vice's advice i was like this really resonates with me just like the way she frames it as like does this relationship bring something to you like does it make you happier does it make you better is it giving you something or is it just taking away from you and i was like yeah like that is such a smart way of looking at this it's like you shouldn't be in a relationship that is just draining things out of you. It should be something you're, you're yeah, gaining something in some way from like getting a positive, you know, thing entered into your life as opposed to just giving up energy and time, you know, which I think that's yeah, ultimately Freddie was just giving and giving and giving and not getting anything back. Yeah. And I like the way that Anna frames it. I don't, I'm not going to be able to find the exact quote here, but she frames it as giving in a relationship is not the problem. It's the, it's not that giving and not getting anything back is the problem. It's that giving and it feeling like a burden. Whereas there's a difference with, that's what it was. It was a difference between giving and it feeling like a burden and giving and it not feeling like a burden. Yeah. Like there's a difference between an obligation and a gift. Yeah. 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 So it's like you can give of your time freely and know that it's a gift and feel happy about that. But if you feel like it's it's drawn out of you, like it's manipulated out of you and you don't feel good giving it freely, that's another red flag kind of moment that you learn <laughs> with experience, but it's hard to know uh, yeah. if you've never gone through it before. Yeah, I felt that a lot reading this as not a teenager because there was so many red flags coming up and you're just like freddie look at that red flag no freddie there's another red flag freddie like look at all these red flags you got what are you doing but <laughs> oh no but when you're a teenager you haven't ever seen those flags come up before so you have to kind of learn about those flags to recognize them you know and i was like oh yeah yeah and and your your first time seeing them might not necessarily be as a teenager <laughs> so i think i think reading this as an adult was very very satisfying for me as well like i i really enjoyed this story. I thought there was a lot of, uh, as we've said before, a lot of nuance, a lot of layers and really well-constructed work. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the art because the art is gorgeous. Oh yeah. 
Uh, and plants, man. She grows really good plants. <laughs> like, yeah, the little, little details. Just like room is full of little details. Uh, like, I am a big fan of that always. It's set in Berkeley, and there isn't like when you draw a setting. Sometimes the way you can get there is with like an obsessive amount of detail. You're like, here's famous intersection and location. But I feel like the way that Rosemary did it is like through like the style of architecture and the plants and like all of these little details. And it's like, oh man, it's got such a strong California vibe. Yeah. 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 It's like we're given just enough details that you don't notice when half the panel is empty because you're given all the sort of the pieces on the set to sort of like reconstruct the rest in your head. It's yeah. just like, there's a level of talent there that's like undeniable. Yeah, which like, yeah, yeah fantastic. just like, I just feel like there's so much guts in like, you know, just empty space, like just nothing, empty space in the panels. Like just, I, I don't know. I feel like it's, I think often in cartooning, you're compelled to sort of fill space at least I always feel that way, and just yeah, that's the story of my life. To, to see to see someone with just like the the courage to just do like these giant like swaths of pink and white space, and I'm just mm -hmm. like, ah, oh, it's so much confidence to just draw what you need to see and let, like let everything else be like blank. It's like such and the, artwork. the the panel structure. The panel structure is amazing. This is much like this one summer. It's it's almost like poetry or each page is like, there are, I'm sure there are no two pages with the same page composition. Yeah. And just like rows of panels arranged in different ways that convey the story just by the, the way they're situated on the page. It's not just the, the images, it's not just the, the panel to panel transitions, it's like the, the layout is doing so much storytelling work. Yeah, like yeah. The, the spread on, 196 197 where it's just the two of them in the classroom and that one lonely speech balloon like you know do you want to break up with me and i don't know just you're like boom like just so much it's like it's such a simple scene and yet it gets like a two-page spread and it needed a two-page spread for the impact you know like there's a page somewhere where it's like freddie walking down a staircase and it's like three panels sort of oh. staircase from each other but it's connected together so it's one panel yeah 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 that was such a That's great cool. so many great layouts here um uh, the level of execution is super super high uh one thing though that i wanted to particularly point out is that there's a lot of ways that representation is great in this book one way that representation is particularly good as a person with thicker arms i really appreciated that freddie had slightly thicker arms that meant a lot to me personally mm. i can tell you as someone who obsesses over body image very <laughs> often very very rarely do you see a character with thicker arms <laughs> usually the the women and femmes who are portrayed in media even if they are supposed to be like considered chubby they have like rail thin arms and it drives me absolutely batty so thank you rosemary personally <laughs> from the bottom of my thick arm part for making <laughs> making this book with a, just a normal person who is you know normal sized arms I'm, I'm very endlessly grateful yeah well i mean i think i i think in general like there was a whole variety of like body types represented in the whole cast uh you know i mean i even just, I mean, we haven't even really talked about Vi, but I just, I loved Vi as just the whole character design was just great. And like, not, yeah. not a character design you'd normally see traditionally. So it was kind of like, I love just like a little more round, heavy set, but still like very glamorous kind of character, you know? Yeah, mm. there was fantastic body diversity, like facial diversity uh, and types of people like emotionally like there was just so much every character feel felt rounded even if they were a walk-on i think mm -hmm. is is kind of the way like mo for example is a great <laughs> yeah. uh is a great instance of this where she's just at a party and she is kissed you know non-con by freddie yeah. uh but you like just the the vibe of mo and yeah. where she's at and the way she reacts to that like you get so much depth of this character like instantly uh yeah. this is really really compelling and really well done 
Yeah, the the conversation between Mo and Vi after that party speaks volumes about the years <laughs> of their friendship. <laughs> yeah, and there's a whole side story with, um, or I guess like a, a B plot with uh, what are their names, uh, Betty Funny. and Eric. Yeah. And like those are characters that I don't know if they necessarily have arcs because they're not given that much screen time, but like they have a lot of depth. Yeah. There's a lot of complexity there that I liked. Just, yeah. I mean, like that, just that little, little sidebar with the two of them arguing about, you know, I forget who's one of them had a grandmother having a 90th birthday. And that was Eric. So, and then, so Buddy wanted to attend and Eric's like, oh, but she's 90 and it would freak her out to see me with a boy. So just give her this, she's 90, give her this, this moment to have her birthday and not have to be confronted by the fact that her grandson's a homosexual. It's like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, like this is a, it's, this is a queer work. This is a queer book and mm. a lot of the characters are queer. And what I really appreciated about it is that there was so much nuance to the queer experiences portrayed without any of them necessarily being like I had to come out and it was hard and tragic and I lost my family as a result which is still kind of the the go-to trope yeah the rut of a lot of queer queer stories Mm -hmm. so to have this to be such a layered and nuanced yeah uh story that's compelling on so many levels and still be such strong queer rep in in other ways like so it's not like it's a it's a love story that doesn't touch on queerness at all like actually it touches on that experience in a lot of different ways that mm-hmm. i found were interesting and fresh and new yeah yeah no and i know i just I, like i say i just uh, overall like the characters just felt very just like real and lived in and i i just again like i'm very outside of that experience but i still was able to like read it and like emotionally connect with the story and the the characters and it's like you know i found myself you know reading this and and putting myself in freddy's head and being like yeah i've been i've been there i've been neglected like that like i i've seen those red flags like you need to get out of this like (laughs) yeah that's the the power of good writing (laughs) yeah yeah, no, it's the, the it's a really solid story, and I know I, I yeah I just I like how it sort of brought other characters in in different ways because like even just like with with Vi I think when I first started reading it I thought oh well this will be the the new love interest that sweeps Freddie away from Laura Dean and I appreciated that ultimately like Vi is sort of like. I'm a little bit too old for you and you seem like a nice person and I hope you make better choices but like. You know, like, good luck. Like, it's nice hanging out, but we're not going to be dating. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> I also like that it's, um, she's actually only one year older. Yeah. And she's, like, much more mature. Yeah. So I think that was kind of an excuse to say, like, no, you're you're still in high school. And, like, that one year difference is a big deal right now. So, no. Yeah, which, I don't know, maybe maybe that's part of why I thought uh, Scott Pilgrim was getting called out in this book. <laughs> All right, well, we spent uh, an hour gushing about this book, and I think we used up our time. <laughs> time well spent, I say. <laughs> um, any additional slash final thoughts? Uh, get this book now. Like, yeah. don't, don't sleep on this one. I, I regret sleeping on it when convention season was happening like everyone was like oh read this book read this book and i was like yes i will but it was like in my pile so i'm glad that the trade waiters kicked this up my list because it was it was a very very good read yeah um the only final thing i will say is i when i flipped to the back of the print edition it had a notice about how part of this was funded by the canada arts council so i just want to Shout out the Canada Arts Council for making a good decision and throwing some money behind this great work. Also, Groundwood Books, who's the publisher, they published uh, this one summer. Uh, I don't know how many graphic novels they published, but like the list of Canadian graphic novel publishers is pretty short. And I'm glad that Groundwood is on the list. Yeah. Okay, do we have shout outs? Yeah, once again, I'll shout out uh, Don't Go Without Me by Rosemary Valera O'Connell. And it's a beautiful work. I, yeah, it is short box. 
I'm going to shout out um, Stardew Valley, which is what I've been doing instead of drawing, I guess. <laughs> um, they have a, an update. You can build a farm on a beach, which is what I'm doing right now. It's fun. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I will I will shout out Life is Strange 2 then, because that's what I've been doing to fill my free, free time. <laughs> Uh, during lockdown as uh, playing heavy story-based video games. <laughs> okay, um, what's our next book? Oh, wait, I, I know what our next book is because it's mine. Uh, our next book is going to be Slaughterhouse-Five or The Children's Crusade as written by Kurt Vonnegut and then rewritten by Ryan North and drawn by Albert Montes. And I rewrote our tagline at the end because we're not recording in a library right now and also a bunch of the places we have been hosting our podcast have kind of changed names or shut down google play no longer exists um add it to the graveyard of google services yeah (laughs) thank you to sleuth for the music they still did our music uh and you can find us on itunes stitcher soundcloud and tumblr thank you (laughs) 